And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And we have Richard Morgan with us today. Richard uh, just published an article in uh, Street Photography Magazine uh, taking place in Ukraine, which we're going to talk about. Um, but beyond that, he is a professional photographer. He's an educator of photography. He lives in London, England. He's an award-winning photographer as well. He won the uh, 2018 CBRE Photographer of the Year and many others. He's done projects, uh, in, of course, in, in London. He's done projects in, in uh, Russia and uh, other areas of Eastern Europe and even here in the U.S. So welcome, Richard. Glad to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's uh, really nice to be on this uh, cool podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the magazine. That's great. That's great. I knew we had one somewhere. It was you. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I said, I'm a wise ass. So, <laughs> so just... yes, yeah. It's really nice to be here, and um, I think the magazine does a really good job of showcasing um, a range of sort of different photographic talents across the world, really, um, in different styles and uh, at different levels of a photographer's career. So, I think that's a really a really cool aspect of the magazine. That's a great summary. I'm glad we got that on tape because I'm going to steal it from you. You said it much better than I do. But we do. We we you know we like to showcase people from all levels, even beginners, all the way up to established professionals like yourself, and from all around the world. I've I don't know. I find it's really cool. I've met so many people, and whenever we travel overseas, we try to meet up with them. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately we're not coming to London this year, but I'm going to be in Greece. I'm going to meet up with a couple people there. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Give me a shout when you do come to London. Yeah. Got to. Well, it's that Brexit thing. I just, you know, (laughs) ouch. Why did you do that? Uh, well, we're not going to go there. All right. (laughs) I don't know. Live together, die alone. (laughs) Anyhow, let's talk about you. So, um, Tell me, how did you get into photography? Tell us about your journey, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so it is a bit of a journey, really. Um, Reminds me of a picture I took during the lockdown in London uh, by Liverpool Street Station, deserted forecourt, and there was a huge government sign erected in the forecourt, and with neon lights, it was asking the question, uh, asking the question of the public, is your journey necessary? Question mark, <laughs> exclamation mark. Um, it's the title uh, photograph of the lockdown project that I made in London, mm-hmm. which is a st- street photography project um, uh, depicting London during that historical time. Um, and I sort of stood in front of the sign and reflected on journeys you know are any of our journeys necessary is the journey I mean, aren't we told that it's the journey that matters and not the destination so anyway um that makes i always think of that picture when i think of journeys my, my photography journey started 
I think this is maybe a quite generic um, <laughs> beginning. Uh, so cut to maybe uh, 2011, I'm going to Russia, St. Petersburg on a language uh, course, which was part of my studies back then. I studied uh, East European and Russian um, culture, language and politics. And just before I went, my dad's like, hey, 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 uh, you should take this. And he hands me a, an Olympus OM-1N um, <laughs> with about, you know, with a sort of plastic bag full of black and white films. And um, yeah, so during that time, it was the first, the first uh, experience of actually going out into the public realm for no other reason whatsoever other than to observe, engage, and represent the world through pictures. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, I, it was just, it was just uh, a hook. You know, <laughs> I was hooked ever since. I, and, and these days I don't go out for many other reasons. You know, when I go shopping, I'm, <laughs> I'm in and out. You know, if I need a, if I need a new shirt, I'm, I'm there and back in five minutes. But when I'm, but I go out for picture taking. That's the main reason I go out these days, and it's that aimless wandering. Since then, um, I just continued. I guess I got better, and I photographed in Poland for a long time, and that's where I made the work that won me the uh, 2018 CBRE Urban Photographer of the Year Award. That opened a load more doors for me, um, and one door swings open the next most of the time yeah so and then i started um i started teaching photography as well like through at higher education and also through a lot of workshops so um i combined both of those things working as a as a professional freelance photographer and um and educating so you left town with several rolls of film so do you still have that film I still have the yeah. I still have the film. Some of the pictures I took, I can see them right now. I remember taking them. This is this is twelve years ago, and I learned. You know, you look at the contact sheets. I learned back then on the streets of St. Petersburg as they were gearing up for um, what's called Dien Pobiedi. It's called Vi uh, the Day of Victory. It's on the 9th of May. It's the mm. day that it's the day that um, the Soviet Union. Uh, won the second world war or their celebration of the of the end of the second world war is that may day uh, yeah, they yeah. Call me? okay yeah um and in 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 russian soviet union it was the 9th of may so they they still do these celebrations um and i was there for that and they were doing the rehearsals for it and <laughs> yeah that's when i learned about patience and hanging around scenes and waiting for them to develop and returning to places of potential just in case that little extra element might come this time um and i also learned the disappointment then i think that was the first time i learned that very particular disappointment that you get from doing street photography where <laughs> where you don't get the shot you know um who was it that said the best pictures i took all my best pictures are the ones that i never took yeah of course you should have. So did you process the film yourself? No, I didn't. Um, yeah. I, t I took it into some, um, there was a little local 
there's a little business. I think they were, I think they were a sort of a wedding photography mm. business in in St Petersburg, and I used to go in there every week and just give them a couple of rolls of film and get them to develop them for me and do the prints. But yeah, still, still um, have have all of that material now. Yeah. So some of those, some of your favorite photos still. Uh, a couple. Um, a couple, yeah. I would say two or three. Um, it was black and white. I, I don't know, shoot black and white that much anymore. It depends what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, I love black and white, and I and I, I've never turned my back on it. But you know, we thirteen, but we're different. We're different uh, creative individuals, aren't we? Thirteen years down the line. Yeah. But um, I can see. It's almost looking back over a sketchbook. I can see myself trying yeah. to figure out what street photography was, trying to figure out my relationship with the public realm and yeah, trying to figure out my relationship to that city. Yeah, it's funny you say you don't do too much black and white anymore. I was just um uh, I was at a, a party. As a matter of fact, we took our neighbor with us. And uh she happens to be a uh, big time architectural photographer in this part of the country and uh rarely gets to do the kind of work she she wants to do because she's always being paid to do the architectural work but and i and uh, i was asking her was well, you know what do you want to do when you're you know when you're not doing that kind of work and she was telling me and she said i want to do more black and white she goes yeah it's usually when I photograph people, it's in black and white, and I, I show them color photos and black and white photos, and they always tend to gra- gravitate towards the color. And I like the black and white best. And is that what you see? Do you do you do you see that happen a lot, especially like with with your with clients? Or <laughs> well, Me, I, I love black and white, and that's almost all I do. But the... yeah, I do. I, I do love black and white. Um. I I tend to work in projects, so um, mm-hmm. if I'm uh, and I'll decide in advance, or I'll I'll realize that I'm shooting one or the other, yeah. Because you know, obviously, and obviously, the way you see the world, or the way I see the world, is different whether I'm shooting color or black and white. Mm-hmm. And the, my like my my visual investigation of the world is is quite different. It still has the underlying uh consistencies in terms of theme and tone and subject matter but i think compositionally and um in terms of those little triggers that you see when you're walking around and what grabs your attention that changes based on whether i'm shooting color or black and white um (laughs) it reminds me of a story when a friend of mine a very good friend of mine asked me to photograph his wedding so I, you know, he wanted like my he wanted my take on his wedding, um, which is a great challenge as well because there's all these little scenes and moments. And for a street photographer, you know, doing weddings is quite a cool, cool mm-hmm. experience. Anyway, I shot the first. Um, I was just shooting in black and white, like I was just shooting JPEG, um, and I shot the first hour in grain, like high grain, high contrast black and white because I thought mm-hmm. it'd be really, really cool and shot the rest in color and then i sent i sent him a couple of samples um the day after of the black and white stuff and he wrote back and said oh god richard please tell me they're not all like this <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. 
<laughs> he said they look like something from an underground Berlin art exhibition. Good. And, that's what uh, I was looking for. And that's that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I com- I completely misread the room, but luckily most of it, like the vast majority of it was in color. So um but with clients, you know, you just you just know from the beginning. Um yeah. that it's pretty much without without being said it's color it's um you know i think for me usually there'll, there'll be a discussion with the client if it's black and white but if there's no discussion i, I presume that they want color yeah yeah you can always convert it um, yeah so i i happen to see on your website um on your workshop area you were talking about or it was not it was your blog i think you know it was a uh, FAQs and, and the question was, what camera do you use for street? And you said the X100V. And I wonder when you when you shoot black and white with that, do you use one of the film simulations? And it's in JPEG, or are you shooting color and then convert it, or whatever? Uh, well, it depends. Um, if it's like if it's a job for a client, I'll probably shoot raw. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Just, just so I know. But if it's you know, a lot of my personal projects, I shoot JPEG. Um, I like to see through the viewfinder, the black and white or color yeah. or whatever it is. Um, and what do I use? I just, I just use um, when I'm shooting black and white, I just use the monochrome, yeah, uh, filter. That's it. Not the Arcos one. Just the monochrome. Just, just the mo- yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, to me, they look the same. Uh, I don't. Pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, when you get too when you get too contrasty, it's. I mean, it's nice and everything, you know. I'm thinking of William Klein's work. Um, mm-hmm. That is gorgeous. Uh, obviously, he's he's an absolute legend. But uh, I think I think the work that I'm doing right now is a lot um, less obscure. You know, I can't. I, it's I'm showing a lot more. I'm mm-hmm. showing. I'm showing the world as I see it a lot more, um, and that's a color world. And also, I'm photographing in places where there is a lot of color, and mm. um, mm-hmm. and I don't want to turn my you know, close my eyes to that um, because it's part of the experience of being in those places. Yeah, absolutely. You were talking about clients. What type of clients do you work for? Well, um, so they could be private clients uh, where I do events um show photography so um for example like lovely beautiful choir shows in gorgeous churches down downtown london um parties um but then also for publications uh, news and cultural publications for example time out mm-hmm. uh time out london i did a project for them um the back end of lockdown uh, the the euros the football the europe um, European Championships football was held mm-hmm. mainly in London, and they I did a project for them where I basically hung out with the national communities from each team that were oh, participating, really? and um, photographed them as they watched the games. You know, in their living rooms, in their pubs, in the you know, in the Ukrainian social club, for yeah. example. I went to a barbecue at the chef of the Austrian embassy at his house, at his garden, and photographed them watching the game there. So it was. It was football. Football was like um, an excuse mm-hmm. for, a, for a social investigation into multiculturalism in London. 
um yeah so that those type of those type of clients really so when you do that are you always doing your own thing and they get you they get you know your vision or are there certain shots that you 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 know you know you have to get for them so you you know are you trying to fit their not style or what you know what what their objective is or is it just always what you see um well i think i've learned from the experience of working for clients i've i've learned to change what my approach to a kind of reportage is for example mm-hmm. so um for example if I, by back in the day if i was doing an event i would just be doing candid like candid scenes mm-hmm. nothing set up or no, nothing arranged no portraiture just like um really just taking the street into the into the commission yeah and you know people like that to a certain degree but they don't want all of that and it kind of mm. it kind of taught me that doing a reportage i try and combine a number of different styles like i still have that candid the moment street photography you know style um but i also do a lot of portraiture now in those reportages so so the whole body of work in an event of the reportage of the event will consist of portraits candid sort of street style photographs documentaries little little mini document six photograph mini documentary series of a particular element of the mm-hmm. of the event um so i think i've become more rounded um in in that dialogue with clients and in in that dialogue with what their expectations are of capturing an event because they'll say to you oh, i really want you to come along and capture the event <laughs> you know what does that mean right? yes <laughs> hey, so there's a million way you know it's infinite that's that's a job with infinite um possibilities so i try and do um a combination yeah combination of approaches i'd like to take a quick break to thank the street photography magazine subscribers for your support we couldn't do this without you you may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside street photography magazine itself and that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover our only constituent is you our listeners and readers so if you like what we're doing you can support the show by subscribing to street photography magazine it's only five dollars per month and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe and now back to the show. So when you're doing the portraits, do you do you pose people, or you still let them just be themselves, but you capture them with the right background and lighting? Well, I love talking about portraiture because um, <laughs> I didn't do a lot of portraiture, and then I ended up going to um, I went on this Sky Arts Master of Photography uh, TV mm. show. And got to the final, and anyway, one of the judges, really? a guy, a guy called Oliviero Toscani, gave me a, a position of photojournalist in residence uh, at a place called Fabrica in Italy, and he's really big on portraiture, and so 
I went from a place of thinking that portraiture was really easy, like, oh, you can just you can just tell your subject to do anything you want. You basically have control of it, whereas on the street you have no control. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's you know it's really tough. I, I had a, a one of the mentors on the show, Chris Bucks, said to me, "Okay, you think it's easy? Imagine fifteen minutes uh, with um, Lady Gaga for the front <laughs> cover for the front cover of Vogue, and you have to do something that's never been done before." Oh, I know. I mean, that, that is <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> no pressure. None. That's really, really hard. And when, when you do portrait, and even when you do portraits of, you know, obviously way down the scale from that, it's mm-hmm. still an interaction between two people, and there's still that element of trust between you, and there's still a pressure. You can't keep them, you know, you can't keep them there for ten minutes. Do this, do that, do this. You've got about a minute of their time. Yeah. Especially when you do a street portrait, um, you've got about a minute of their time. I think when they say, "Yeah, that's cool. You can take a picture of me." I tend to um, like sort of quickly identify one element of their appearance or their face or whatever it is and try and exaggerate that and ask them to to exaggerate that in the picture. Um, That's what I try and do with my portraiture. Um, Or just keep it really, just really classic, you know, just eye contact, don't smile, look, you know, Forget cheese, just look straight down the yeah. lens. Yeah, just really simple. You can't be a nice, you can't be a, an engaged set of eyes trained onto the lens um, to really get a good look at someone, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a nice way to do portraiture, just keep it simple like that. Yeah, but when you have that pressure, like you say, 15 minutes with Lady Gaga or Five minutes with whoever. I mean, how, how do you do that without freezing up? Well, practice. Um, <laughs> yeah, practice. Really, you, you've been in that. If, if you've been in that situation before, you kind of trust that you're going to ask them to do something slightly different. That's what I always do. Ask them to do something slightly different. Get their get hands involved. Um, mm-hmm. If you're taking a portrait of someone's face or you know shoulder. You know, if it's a, a typical portrait of someone's face, go get their hands involved in that. Um, if you can see a little tattoo coming out the top of their shirt, ask them what it is, get them to undo their shirt and show you the tattoo, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if they've got a necklace on with a pendant that means something to them, ask them to show it to you. Um, yeah, what most people do is just pull the worst smile you've ever seen because yeah. they've been conditioned from a young age yeah. that that's how you behave in front of a camera. Um, yep, for the strange, fifth grade photo. Which is a strange thing. I'd never really understood it. Uh, um it's so it's so superficial. I mean smiles are smiles are quite a rare commodity. We we spe- our, our default facial expression mm-hmm. is not a it's not a smile, it's something much more complex and ambivalent. And I think that's what you should try to do. That's what draw. you want. Yeah. 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 Just how do you get them to do it? Because the first thing they do is that fifth grade, fifth grade portrait. Yeah. This is what my mom taught me to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just little things, you know, like look little directions, asking them to look in a certain way. 
think about a certain thing, to look at the camera as if they were looking, you know, at something, as if they look in the camera as if they were looking, you know, at their mother on their mother's birthday, and they were peering into her and saying, you know what, mum never told you how much I love you. Wow. Get, get someone to do that into, a, into your camera lens, and that'll be a good portrait. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I had one guy say he always tells them to. What did he say? He says, uh, "Yeah, just yeah, look in the camera and tell me about your life with your eyes, or something like that." And I, so I thought I'm going to try that on the street with strangers. It's, and every time I said it, they just like laugh at me and go, "What the hell?" I go, "Okay, that doesn't work for me. I'm going to try something else." <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to you gotta find your own way, I guess. Right? I'm trying to think what expression I would pull, what I'd do with my eyes to try and yeah. sum up my life. I might just yeah. shut. Them. Yeah. So, um, so did you start out career-wise to to be a language expert? Is that is that why you went to school for language? Or no, it was it was um, I was studying uh, is in the humanities. Mm -hmm. University, I was studying um, history, like basically a combination of history, cultural studies, um, languages, uh, politics, sociology. Um, and it was, had a particular interest in Russia and Eastern Europe. Um, yeah, I did a PhD in at UCL in London, University College London in, in East European and Russian studies. Um, and that's really when I started going there, going to the region, and and that's probably when I started photographing there. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I haven't, you know, it's it's not been from there to photography. You know, I still, I um, I work as an associate lecturer in uh, visual culture at Portsmouth University. So, and that, you know, you're drawing on history and culture and politics when you're thinking about images, right, and mm -hmm. image making. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's all gone into the all got into the big pot um, and been stirred around with a wooden spoon. Um, and that's, and I think, you know, my, the pictures that I take or what I'm drawn to anyway, um, is a reflection on that kind of background, that sort of academic intellectual background. Certainly, you know, I'm drawn to the cultural, historical, social, political reality in which I live. Um, and I'm either trying to, make an honest reflection of that to try and have a little commentary on that but it's always got to be you know i'm not interested in a pretty picture for the sake of it no gotta no be, they wind up it. many of them wind up being pretty anyway but you know <laughs> in their own way right if, if they're pretty um if they're pretty and they mean something to you and to others and they communicate uh to others um something about your experience of the world and then that's a bonus mm -hmm. um, if they're pretty at the same time mm -hmm. i think this discussion like is actually a, is actually a discussion about composition and subject it's about form and content and there's a there's a there well was a really great polish photographer called marianne schmidt who um, i really like 
and uh, he was um, he said, you know, you should be aiming to do two things in every picture you take on the street is to have excellent composition, whatever that might be for you. Not mm-hmm. con- not conforming to rules, but whatever that might be for you, with a very engaging, meaningful subject, and that's quite hard. Yeah, but, but yes, yeah. <laughs> but it's um, how do you get there? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. The practice, time, pound, hours and hours and hours of pounding the streets. You get there, I think, by doing it as much as possible and looking at as much work as possible. Which is other sounds, people's work, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sounds to me like you—that's something that you do a lot. You know, you do both of those things, don't you? You're out a lot shooting, and you're looking at loads of work, and yeah, it's just going to uh, get better. I personally, I I spend a whole lot more time looking at other people's work than I than I do shooting. I've got to I've got to do more of that. Mm. Yeah. Well. It's a good, um, it's a great combination. I think that that's how I tell students that that's how you're going to improve. Mm-hmm. Because then when you go out shooting, you've got these like reference points, you know, and you'll either, you know, you're not trying to imitate. You just, you just have this pool of inspiration that you can start seeing, oh, that's a bit like this photographer. That's a bit like mm-hmm. this. And you, but then you can, you know, you're basically combining multi, multiple influences, I think in in creative arts um you know imitation is is pretty boring and pointless but inspiration is a beautiful thing um and if you look at as much work as possible yeah when you go out you're kind of you're also turning things down a lot more i think because you kind of feel like oh that's been done before or that's too that's too derivative so I've had a big thing about street photography is what you turn down. So since you've been teaching photography and you're seeing the work of the people that you're training and of course the work that you study on your own, I mean, how, how has that changed your own personal, I hate to use the word style, maybe vision. Through the teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot um a lot it's like it's like you're on a you're on a learning process in in the teaching of something you know you're also in the learning process yourself mm-hmm. um, um and what i really enjoy is when um and this is this is never this is something you never get to experience when you're doing street photography on your own mm. which as as you know is quite a solitary meditative practice and you know god forbid anyone could see me in that sort of mode i don't know what i would look like but um <laughs> when when you when i'm out with the students and i'm encouraging a student to go and approach a particular scene i don't know what it is let's say it's um a couple sitting on a bench uh one of them's trying to get a fly out of the other's one's eye <laughs> Um, and behind they're sitting in front of a big billboard that's, you know, selling, I don't know, <clears throat> ice waters, <laughs> selling, uh, selling ice waters. And, uh, and then to the right of the scene, there's, um, 
there's i don't know there's an interesting little a third fourth element going on so it's kind of worth it you know that's the thing you're judging about whether something's worth it or not all the time aren't you and so i so i know the student's interested in the scene so i'm saying okay the first thing to do is take a step forward take a step forward towards it and embrace it um and then the technique that i try and do a lot is uh shooting until i'm noticed so i'll stay i'll kind of stay there mm-hmm. and i'll and i'll really shoot the scene um candidly until i'm noticed um and then i'll basically tell them what i'm doing um and then you get the other side of the coin which is yeah then i can work the scene as well after having been noticed and you know there might be some portraits or that might be you know some more reportage stuff what whatever but when you have that moment when i say to the group when i say to the couple when they notice the student photographer I can step in and I can say, hey, listen, we're doing a street photography workshop. You look amazing. You're part of an amazing scene. What a gorgeous human moment about care and affection and, you know, all of that. And they kind of look at you like, what is going on? And I really like that. That For me, I really learn about what I value um, Hmm. uh, as in what I think is important to photograph. I really learn that when I'm doing that educating. I'm the kind of third party that never usually exists in the yeah. street. So, you know, yeah. this is just you and the subject, right? There's never that. You're the narrator. Yeah. And it's really, it's a fascinating experience when you can step in and say, Hey, everyone, like, this is what's going on. The students are a bit nervous right now because they think you're nervous. Are you nervous? And the couple are like, no, no, no. We just, <laughs> we just wonder what they wonder what they're photographing. And then I say, well, the student thinks that, you know, you look beautiful. And they're like, do you? And they're like, yeah, okay. And then they say, okay, we'll carry on then. Um, so a lot of it is breaking down those expectations of suspicion, mm-hmm. these expectations of fear that we think that we think usually people's um, go-to setting is uh, a place of suspicion and anger towards the street photographer, whereas actually, it's in my experience, it's, it's curiosity. Um, yeah. flattery exactly yeah and it and and the amount of times that you have, you waste time taking people's email addresses just because they want you to send them the pictures mm-hmm. you know so this is a great kind of proof that yeah you don't need to be afraid of it so how has that changed your own personal approach um I, well yeah i i do a lot more engagement now so oh, I, I, really? okay. yeah so i shoot I, I didn't didn't used to do that you know i used to just like flip mm-hmm. from one scene to the next i didn't really want to get into any interactions um you know the, the this kind of mythical figure of the kind of you know invisible ninja street mm-hmm. photographer um what i've learned is in answer to your question is to own you know to own the fact that i'm doing a street photography yeah so don't ever try and snatch a picture because i feel like when you're if you go with you know sometimes if you're doing this if you're trying to be a, an, an invisible ninja you might try and you know lift the camera to your face and quickly take it away and you just mm-hmm. look you just look really 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 suspicious Nikki, and you also yeah. you, also, you also look like you don't care that much i like to hold the camera there 
and to shoot, you know. And if anyone was going to ask me what I'm doing, I'm well able to tell them um, in the most poetic terms as I could possibly imagine how amazing I think they are and that I've been doing street photography for this amount of years. And trust me, like this is a beautiful scene. Um, Great line. Is, I think it is <laughs> flattering. <laughs> yeah, one, one thing I've discovered just for my, my myself, it's taken me a long time to figure it out, is I seem to do my best work when people know I'm there and they've kind of forgotten about me, like you were talking about at a party. When you first show up at a party with your camera, everyone's looking at you, and then they just forget about you. And it happens on the street, too, if you stay in one spot long enough. Um, yeah. You know, they realize you're not an axe murderer. You're just a guy with a camera. And you seem to just, you know, you, you just kind of fade into the background after a while. Yeah. Yeah, but there are so many complex experiences of doing street photography you've just you've just named one of them you know that if you hang around in a place long enough people take you seriously you know good point there's also if you if you turn up to the i, I shot on this one street in parma instead of walking I've, instead of the city in uh, in italy right parma, mm -hmm. instead of walking around like i would have normally done i decided to shoot one street which which gives you you know which really hones your focus and gives you that project and i knew that every picture i took on that street would go into the project about that street even though it's random candid street photography because it's because it's contained geographically it has that consistency and you can call it a project because it is but anyway mm. the, fir the first day i was there people were like what are you doing yeah what are you doing what are you up to why are you here with the camera the second day they were like what are you coming back for <laughs> the third day they're like you know the third day they're like oh hey how you doing fourth day like they're like hey how's the project going on fifth day they're like hey do you want to go for a beer afterwards and so you you your um dedication then can prove to people mm -hmm. you know that you're serious about what you're doing and that's when people really start to trust you um what one other point though about the people people's expectations of you i find if you don't take pictures but you've got a camera hanging around your neck people are suspicious of that as well i never thought because, about that yeah because they're like what it because you know we, that, that fear you can have when you're doing street photography like i can't get the camera to my face you know that, <laughs> i think people feel like that when they start out like they, they can see the scene but they can't possibly bring the camera to their face that also looks you know people people find that a bit unusual so actually two to photograph is what people expect of you when you've got a camera a friend of mine who was on master photography called ronan ronan de gerda he's a dutch photographer he photographs the gangs in japan have the mm. tattoos all over their bodies and he goes and spends like he goes deep into the gangs and gets accepted into them and photographs them wow. and he got and he got entry to a really high level um party where they were like the yakuza and the, the, the big bosses and he said when he went in there he, he was so nervous the cat is just holding the camera in his hands and the big boss came over to him and went when are you going to start taking pictures then you look suspicious so <laughs> that the, le guts. The, le the lesson is to remember that 
you know, taking pictures, when you start taking pictures and you own it and you don't run away and you show people that you're serious about what you're doing and you've got noble intentions, then that's always going to work for you. That's a great point. Is that, is that one of the things you teach your students in your workshops? Yeah, yeah. Um, and as I said, you know, the, when, when, I, when I step in as the third party and I ask, the, you know, the, the people that the student's photographing, oh, by the way, like, how do you feel about them being here photographing you? That really proves to the students that it's not so scary because the people, like I said, the people usually say, "Oh, it's okay." I mean, I'm a bit, I'm curious, I'm a bit flattered, but I'm, I'd like to see the pictures. But other than that, it's fine. So um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, about uh, Ukraine. Obviously, you're you're very familiar with Eastern Europe. I assume you're fluent and. Many languages there, and uh, but you did you you sent us a, an article which I, I I really love and I love the sort of the, the subject matter photographed in Ukraine. I like the the title, the poetry of everyday life in wartime Ukraine, and you actually show the beauty of people's lives in a probably the worst situation you could possibly possibly be in. Yeah. And I just wonder first what's it like being there? I think uh during a time when you never know if one of those hypersonic missiles is going to land at your feet. <laughs> at, yeah. at at any moment and, and these people you know, just having to deal with that every day. I mean, what was it like for you to be there? Well, yeah, I mean, so if I could answer the question just firstly by saying the reason why kind of going there is, uh, you know, as it was, it was the decision of a freelance photographer, freelance street and social documentary photographer, first and foremostly, but also part of my you know, almost 20 years interest in the region in East European and Russia that dates back to my my master's and my PhD and my uh, photographic commissions that I did for various um, publications in the region. So this was an extension of that, really. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like to be there? It depends what situation you're in. Um, in a way, uh, I would say the overriding sensation I had was uh, a sensation of it being quite surreal. Mm. Um, and I think that's almost what I'm trying to do with the pictures that I take there. I'm not trying to make it look like a surreal world, but I'm trying to show, um, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm trying to show life. I'm trying to show color. I'm trying to show beauty. I'm trying to show the poetry of everyday life, I'm trying to show human relationships. I'm trying to show life going on because it is going on out there in the public realm. Um, all the while, there is a devastating, um, bloody and tragic war going on. Um, and those two things combined do make a surreal experience. Um, 
you know, the for example, the the, the air raid sirens going off. You know, you're in the. I, I was in Kharkiv Zoo uh, last month. I was in Kharkiv and Dnipro, and you know, Kharkiv Kar- Kar- Zoo is. Uh, I did a photo essay on this uh, place. Um, it was shut during the the initial invasion. Uh, it sheltered animals from another zoo um, that was destroyed by bombing. It it harboured um, zookeepers whose houses had been destroyed on the outskirts of the city. They came to live in the zoo, and recently it's reopened and it's open six days a week, uh, free event, free of charge to enter, and lots and lots of people go. Um, because it's a place you can go and spend time in 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 public um, um, and be social and enjoy uh, a little distraction, I guess, from the realities of war. But then, of course, the, the air raid siren goes off in the middle of a nice sunny day in the park, uh, in the zoo, and you're looking at the you're looking at the the, the giraffes, and then air raid siren goes off, and that is surreal. That that combination of almost mundane very ordinary everyday life and then these exceptional um, reminders that this is a place you know this is a place in in an experience of war um uh during uh, a conflict um and those experiences are very surreal um i yeah, I, I, the first time I went, which was a few weeks after the invasion, I, I, I went to a former um, battle site with a, a conflict photographer called Matthias Hung, an uh, uh, Australian photographer, I think. And we went there with, you have to be kind of taken there with some of the kind of intelligence services. And, um, you know, the the place was a, a complete, you know, it was a former battle site. There was a lot of destruction, but everything was still. Everything was gray, green, or brown. Um, there was no movement. There was no life. There was no color. There was no flux. And my photography is, and my engagement with the world is very much looking for those things. And so I found it eerily um, uninspiring, which is, which is no surprise, right? Um, and so I was drawn back to the public streets. I was drawn back to the to the to the city centres, to to the parks, to the shopping malls, to the zoo, to the embankments, um, to the streets. And uh, and so that's where this project kind of developed from. So when you were in the the formal battlefield with the conflict photographer, how did he approach that? differently from you or maybe that's well, yeah. what he that's what he was looking for maybe well yeah if you look at our pictures from those times it's quite interesting um you know his his that's the thing he, he was photographing the thing you know mm-hmm. there's a blow there's a blown up tank mm-hmm. with you know whatever debris lying around and so on and he was photographing that thing and you just walk around it that's all you can do you, you know nothing's moving there Mm-hmm. In it, and the the composition and the photograph is dependent on you moving your feet and your body. Mm-hmm. Most of my photographs are of him photographing things. So 
him him photographing an unexploded missile like two meters away from him okay that, that was him okay him him exploring a you know him getting into a tank like going inside a tank and photographing a, a russian tank and what's left of the insides of it um and the, my picture is that tank with his feet coming out the bottom i'm, so, I'm looking at that photo right now i was going to ask you okay so i couldn't uh -huh. i can't shake that mm -hmm. sardonic critical perspective and i can't really just photograph the thing in itself i still there still needs to be moments and mm -hmm. quite frankly um there aren't many moments in former battle sites that they're 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 empty of moments they're Have like been, they're, yeah. they're basically one one long stillness had you been by yourself you wouldn't have probably wouldn't have made many photographs or what no 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 I, I, was, I was photographing the the people the the intelligence um officers who were showing me around when i felt like i could get a picture of them they didn't some of them didn't mind some of them did but um so it was almost an affirmation and i think that that's, that project grew out of that you know i realized i didn't really i didn't really want to photograph in i didn't i didn't want to photograph destruction mm -hmm. i wanted to photograph life i didn't want to photograph death i didn't want to photograph life i didn't want to photograph um gray muddy battle scenes uh that by the way are being done by photographers far more equipped and experienced than i am and have been for a long time in ukraine you know the ukrainian photographers yevgeny maraletka for example is his work is you know of of the front line of the conflict of the fighting you know there's plenty of Lindsay adario for the new york times you know these people are doing incredible work there but my interests are basically the civilian like what what does you what does everyday life look like in ukraine and we don't really get to see that and so i'm trying to just provide another perspective um on what is you know probably the most important well one of the most one of the most important um geopolitical events right now yeah it's quite an experience how many times have you have you been back there since it uh so i went i went three times mm. three times um initially straight after the invasion and then a little bit after that and then this year i went for um i went uh yeah to kharkiv and, and Dnipro. um and while all of the because you know street photography is sometimes unplanned and it's off the cuff um, but I also, and this is where my work is kind of blends between street and social documentary. I also kind of go into places a bit deeper, like the zoo in Kharkiv. Mm -hmm. You know, I went there every day for about five days. Um, and the embankment in Dnipro is this, it's a huge, uh, stretch of the Dnipro river. And there's a, a very lively, um, embankment actually, um, right now. So I would go there mm -hmm. and I'd, I'd photograph there as well. Um, there's a little beach uh, where people are playing volleyball and fishing in the river. Really, I figured nobody would be there. Yeah, and this is this is part of the yeah the surreal experience that I have, and part of the motivation is to kind of show almost 
you know, l- l- everyday life has almost been is almost the the hidden aspect of like what's going on in Ukraine right now. The war is the visible part, but the war is still visible in in the civilian life. You know, the the billboards, the messages um, about bravery, about vigilance, about surveillance. The Ukrainian flags. I mean, are I used to play a game like how many Ukrainian flags I could see from one. I would just suddenly stop in the street and I would count how many I could see if I could do a 360. <laughs> um, you could get up to 20 at one time. Uh, so this vi- vi- the visual dimensions of the war are, are, are very uh, present, um, even in that kind of everyday life scene. There's a, there's a lot of, as I said, there's a lot of billboards and a lot of visual imagery um, about the war. So did you publish, you know, the poetry in everyday life of wartime Ukraine? Did you know you were going to do that story before you even went there? Or did you just look at your work and see this common theme? And then from there, you know, yeah. made the selections and, and, and wrote, wrote the text based upon what you discovered in your own work? Yeah, it was more like that. Um, yeah. It was. It grew. It grew kind of quite organically. Um, mm-hmm. And then once you know that you once you know that without planning it, your work's taking a particular direction. Then you then you kind of intentionally follow that direction, right? Because you know the the project's taken off without you knowing it. But once you realise that the project is happening, then you start working on the project. You yeah. See what I mean, once you realise you're photographing a certain thing by looking back over your work. Then you start intentionally photographing that thing to build the project. Yeah, I, I, I did it. I mean, I'm, I'm quite, um, you know, photographing everyday life in 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 a country at war. I guess is quite contrary. I when I went to this train station in the east of Poland, it was the train station where many many of the refugees arrived. Um, uh, in, in the first months of the conflict and I went there um, and I didn't really want to photograph the refugees I spent about three days just photographing the press <laughs> in the station so I was <laughs> photographing like the CNN anchor doing a and so that's my I, I'm kind of naturally and intuitively want to turn away from what I think is being what is quite pervasive yeah. and, and ubiquitous. And I'll try and find something else that, that, that provides a different angle. Um, but yeah, they didn't, I mean, <laughs> then they, they thought that was weird. You know, you got like the CNN anchor like, looking at me like, why are you taking pictures of me when there's refugees over there? That's um, funny. And, and actually, um, I didn't really want to speak to the, you know, there's Ukrainian refugees that are just twenty hours on a on a sleeper train packed from Odessa, for example. I didn't I didn't really want to go and say, Oh hey, like, what's your experience? But when I actually went into Ukraine um over the border, then I then I really had a lot more organic relationships uh, built with Ukrainian people and a lot more conversations with them. Um and so I was able to learn uh a lot more from a range of different people and a range of different experiences about the complexities of 
of the conflict and their experiences of the conflict rather than you know rather than just kind of going up to a, a tired family in eastern poland yeah. who was who you know who was searching for for shelter and for somewhere to somewhere to stay I, yeah. I, I, that's yeah. not really my style have you been to russia at all since this conflict started no no and I, I don't think i could because my passport's yeah, full of really. ukrainian my passport's full of ukrainian stamps now but I, I, i've been there quite a few times before um mm -hmm. i've been i've been to ukraine a number of times before the conflict um either on assignments or just traveling or i ran the half marathon in kiev uh, back in when was it 2017 or something so and I've been to Russia a few times, um, as I said, for some academic stuff, but also on assignment for some some national publications. Um, so yeah, I can I can I can get by. I can move in in that region. I mean, obviously, it's not one homogenous region, but I can get mm -hmm. by. Yeah, it certainly helps. Did you speak the language and understand the culture? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I speak and understand Russian very well. Um, mm. And I started, uh, I got, got some basic Ukrainian as well. So I can mm -hmm. do that. Wow. The word, what's next for you? Well, I'm doing a lot of um, workshops coming up. I do, I do street photography and some wildlife photography and some social documentary workshops for uh a organization in london called city academy um yeah if you ever want to do um if you want to learn anything in the creative or performing arts in london check them out city academy um so yeah the education side is really is really uh prominent right now um I've, I've, my 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 continual like, investigation of London keeps going. So, I mean, I've been photographing London for about 10 years. And so I, I don't know if you can call that a project. It's just something I do. So I go out and so, you know, when I've got the time, I go out and, and do street photography in London. I do, I mean, Camden market quite a lot as well these days. Um, which is, you know, which is avoid the punks. If you, if you know, it's, I remember a photographer saying to me, "If you go out shooting in the rain, don't photograph the umbrellas. If you go to a tunnel full of graffiti, <laughs> don't photograph the graffiti. <laughs> yeah, if you go to Camden Market, don't photograph the punks, the goths." So there's always that. There's always that um, challenge to see beyond, <laughs> like what's right in the, front of the you. thing. Huh? Yeah, well, I like that. Don't photograph the thing. It's, that's yeah. I wish I'd said that. That's good. Don't photograph the thing. Although it is tempting to photograph the thing, isn't it? It really is tempting. Oh yeah. Um, Especially but, when you're new. Yeah, when you're but, new to the area. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think you can get that out the way. Get that out of your system, right? Mm -hmm. And then keep going back to the area. Whatever it's a little area, if it's a little market, if it's a street, if it's a you know a, a street corner. Um, 
the more you go there, the more you learn the ebbs and flows and the, the subtleties, the sort of delicate things that are happening underneath the surface. Revisiting is something I really, really value in street photography. Yeah, I like that. You've, you've mentioned that several times. You keep going back to the same place. Yeah. Instead of keep moving. Myself, I keep moving. And I've had people yell at me, like, stop already. Stay here for a while. <laughs> yeah. I I usually, the way I would describe it is, um, it's almost like I've got a mental uh, map going on and I've mm-hmm. dropped I've dropped pins in onto that map at certain locations where I've seen the potential mm-hmm. for, a, for a cool picture, but the elements haven't quite been there or, you know, it's not really kind of happened. Um, and then, um, and I, so I drop a pin there and I keep, and I revisit it. Um, and yes, yeah, sure enough, sooner rather than later, sometime you're going to go there and there's going to be that extra little yep. uh, cherry on top, that extra little thing that really sets the picture up. Yeah. So if you were suddenly transplanted to some place that's not as busy or diverse as London, um, I don't even have an example in my head, would you still be doing the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how I work now. Yeah. I go a bit deep. I try and go a bit deeper than Mm -hmm. I am. (laughs) I was sort of reprimanded by a mentor once about walking around too much. (laughs) And um, they said to me, right, they see those 10 pillars outside the front of this organization. We had 10 pillars. It was in Fabrica in Italy. And um, said to me, right, for a whole week, I just want you to photograph those 10 pillars and nothing else. And so I'd spent the whole week photographing the 10 pillars and I I learned every single detail about those 10 pillars (laughs) and about the way the light moves and about the way that, you know, when the Jews there in the morning and when um, the shadows are there in the evening and the whole like, the whole journey of light um, and texture that was going on in that place, you know, it was just an exercise, right? It was an exercise mm-hmm. in, in just hanging around, take a deep breath, have a look around. Like, can you stay in this place and go a bit deeper? Um, so they, I'm, I'm kind of there at the moment. Although, you know, Jeff Mermelstein says, I usually walk, north i usually walk south to north for about six hours yeah <laughs> that's that's but i do like doing that as well you know I, st- yeah. I still i still love doing that but um but over the last few years i've definitely become a bit more sensitive to theme and location and like to scratch that surface a bit more so of those those 10 pillars you spent so much time there do you still have a favorite 10 pillar photo that maybe is on your wall someplace or in your portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there's a series, 10, 10 photograph series. Oh really? Uh, okay. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not 
it's not of public viewing at the moment, not because I, not because I'm ashamed of it. I just haven't put it up. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I think I printed them and sent them to the sent them to um, the guy that asked me to do it, and I think they may have put it up somewhere. Um, but I quite yeah, I like them. I like them. It's it it really brought home to me <laughs> the inf- infinite perspectives you can have on one thing over time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all like those two, those two axes, time and space, and they change. If you if you move the if you move yourself on either of those axes, preferably both of them, the perspective is going to change, and that's that's great. Yes. You need to internalize that. I guess the only way to do it is, like you said, practice. Mm. John Free. I mean, I, I steal the mm-hmm. practice thing from John Free. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> you know, he like says, uh, "Yeah, he's, I mean, he's great." That was really inspiring. You know, he says, "Oh, what? What do you think a basketball player just suddenly got good? Or what yeah. do you think a da- you think a dancer just suddenly got got good? You think uh, you think a guitarist yeah. suddenly just picked up a guitar and said, I can play.' The same with photography. This." This idea of like, oh, natural born talent. I don't know. I just, I, I what, one thing I do know is that the, the photographers that are really good have spent loads and loads and loads and loads of time doing it. Yes. And I'm not saying that anyone could have done it. Maybe they, you know, they do have a, they do have a unique perspective on the world, but they've also really, really worked on their craft. Both things combined, I think. I agree. I've been photographing my own personal project, jazz musicians, in my local community. I live in a small town. We have a really rich community of jazz musicians, um, and. Uh, so I've been photographing these guys, and, and it made me realize how much you have to practice. These people are all really good. They've been doing it their entire life. Some of them are in their 80s. One guy, 90 years old. And with a musical instrument, you have to do it all the time. Mm. Why is photography any different? It's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I feel, I feel myself going through, you know, periods of being hot and cold, right? Yeah, so sure. when, when, when I'm out of practice... Like I'm not quick enough. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm missing things, or my mind starts to wander, or I get you know I get a little a little seed of negativity starts to grow, and I and I want to just turn the camera off, you know, call it off for the day. Um, but when you're hot and you're in you know you're in no you're in a rich vein of form, yeah, you believe you're going to get the shot, and then you get the shot, and you you motivation goes through the roof and then you start getting into the zone and you feel untouchable and you feel like everything is going to be a great shot yeah but um, it's not like that all the time no it's not no it's it's not it's like tennis players you know Wimbledon's on right now you know these guys yeah. hit this they hit the zone for like you know a few hours each tournament mm-hmm. where they see in the tennis ball like a beach ball yeah and it's and it's and they're seeing it like slow in slow mm-hmm. motion, and it's like a beach ball. It's like that with isn't it street photography? Sometimes you feel like the world is just flying past you, and you can't see anything. 
and everything's happening too quickly. And other times you feel like you can almost reach out and touch, like you can almost pick up mm-hmm. the, the scene and move move the parts mm-hmm. around and that you can create the scene. Yeah, I love that. I love that feeling. Yeah, it's like a like a time warp. Yeah. You yeah, can an- see it and anticipate it. Mm. Everybody's going to normal speed, but you don't see it that way. Yeah. Well, just like basketball. Uh, so when a basketball player is really hot, they see the basket as being the, the size of a, a barrel. Yeah, it's exhilarating. It's hard. Yeah, it makes it hard to miss. But. Yeah. It's a, that, that is the, um, the sweet nectar that you keep on going back for. That's, yeah. That is why it is exhilarating and addictive. Yeah. And sometimes it's painful, like, like golf. One good shot will keep keep bringing you back, <laughs> even though you're totally frustrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Remind, reminded me of my dad. Oh, really? Yeah. My... yeah every time he comes back from golf, is he's, he's got a story of a good shot and story of the bad shots. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was a scratch golfer. Very good. Very good golfer. And he'd come home all pissed off. You know. I only shot a 74 today. Really? <laughs> yeah. But he did get that one good shot that brought him back the next day. It's like anything. You have to keep showing up. Keep coming back. Even if you're too cold or tired or don't feel like it. Yeah. Although but- once I once I did have one of the hot, like, the like I was really on form. It was in a place called, in Poland called Częstochowa. And uh, it's a place where people go to pilgrim, like there's a pilgrimage there. And mm. anyway, I, I was there and I was with my um, old film camera and I was shooting film then for some reason or another. Um, and I found a load of undeveloped films at my parents' house when I went to visit them. So I was really happy and I was shoving them in my pocket. I'll take them back to Poland. I'll use them on the next trip. And so I loaded them up and um, I shot them through. And I remember it now the pictures that I took. There was one guy dressed as a cowboy with like gun, a fake gun holster with these, with these Smith and Westons in. And as these two kids came by, he opened up his jacket and showed them, and they were they were sort of marveling at these, <laughs> at these. Guys. And I, I remember I na- absolutely nailed it. Um, there were two nuns um, shopping for. Uh, or uh, diamond rings as well. So I went into the window and I shot through the window at these two nuns staring at a diamond ring. Anyway, and I, I was just a rapid fire. And um, when I developed the the film, <laughs> turns out I had already shot. I don't know how this happened, but I'd already shot the film ten years ago. So all of the pictures with these kind of really chaotic double exposures, <laughs> layering my life from ten years ago, like photographs of ex girlfriends and gigs and on now on this like Chenstohova trip um it took me about a week to get over it but now i really like that those pictures they're very they still have that's great yeah they're like little art they're more of a sort of artistic project now before we go i want, I want to ask you another i've got another curiosity um before we wrap things up i'm here in london it's like one of the top street photography cities in the world we got some great street photographers there. Lots of them, amazing, amazing talent. So you you all get together, you know. You have like a little street photography club. You know a lot of these other 
men and women or mm. so uh so i know i know um a few clubs that do try and break through this solitary you know mm-hmm. existence of the street photographer and they really provide a a good community um the urban photography club or the urban photographers is one for someone for if anyone goes to london and wants to kind of meet up with some nice people and walk around and they do different assignments and things mm-hmm. um i think that's also kind of headed by um brian lloyd duckett who i think oh is it that's brian's okay yeah yeah um yeah he's still I, doing a lot of that now yeah yeah so there are they do exist um i go along to those not because i think i'm going to take good pictures i go along to them sometimes you know to meet people and to have a bit of a social um a social experience because i know i need to go out on my own really to do my mm-hmm. work. But i go along there with no expectations and just don't really sometimes don't turn the camera on just talk to people mm-hmm. um but i do reach out to um i do reach out to photographers uh you know, let's say a list uh, photographers um, in London, and sometimes go, you know, meet up with them, go for beers. I did that with Brian Lloyd Duckett actually. With Brian, I sent him a message and just went for a beer with him and picked his brains for about three hours. Um, no, that that'd be cool. Yeah. So, in a word, yeah, you can do it. You you know, you can bump into Matt Stewart in. Uh, on Oxford Street, and you know you can you can meet Richard Baker and Alan Burles, and yeah, you can you can do it. And um, I always find I bump into street photographers when I'm out shooting, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I always do, especially at an event like the coronation, the the, like, oh, yeah. the coronation of Charles recently. It was great. <laughs> Everywhere you looked, there were street photographers around, and I was just kind of yeah exchanging details with all of them. In my town, there's like three. <laughs> we run into each other we know <laughs> that's cool, i'm not though. kidding maybe four <laughs> that is pretty cool yeah uh, uh that's cool well all right but you know before we go why don't you tell us where people can find you yep so you can find me on instagram at richard morgan photo studio uh the website is the same richard morgan photo studio dot com and um yeah yeah check out the work and get in touch always happy to hear from 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 new people well that's great well thank you i really appreciate you taking the time appreciate your patience with me last week when i screwed up not at all not at all i'm I'm patient your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode so please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Mm-hmm.